Since we last spoke, the world has continued to be racked by uh, increased levels of the pandemic globally, with nations like Brazil coming into absolute desperation. And even here in the United States, more than 18 states have experienced upticks in uh, new levels of, uh, of um, is issues with the pandemic. People are getting infected by the disease um, in increasing levels in, 14, or in 18 states at the present time. And uh, the early promise of a reopening appears to be faltering as the highest levels of health authorities in the nation are no longer cautiously optimistic about reopening, but rather are, are cautioning against moving too fast to reopen for the fear of a resurgence of the disease. Now, I'm simply talking about what is there presently and what people are, um, are experiencing. Um, obviously, uh, the stock market in the United States continues to be on a wild ride, some days up by hundreds of points and some days down by similar amounts. All of this is contributing to a growing sense of disorientation amongst the people. You know, as long as there was a target to reopen, people sort of fixed their eyes on that target and said, when such and such a date arrives, uh, we'll go back to normal. But now increasingly in the secular world, there is a growing chorus of people asking, what is normal? Will we ever go back to what is normal? In the meantime, structural changes are taking place right and left. Corporate America is responding to the business pressures of uh, the Black Lives Matter protest and, uh, and that protest is being joined by people of different races who are uh, protesting their own um, oppression uh, by the structure of authority that, that has existed. It is, I'm, I'm not wishing to either exaggerate or underplay what's going on because I'm not really interested in people's attention being caught by sensationalism. I'm interested in how do we see these things from a biblical point of view. What is it that God is saying to us? We're all really stunned by the deafening silence coming out of the church. The church, the evangelical church in particular, continues to be mired in its choice to be a political voice and its assignment to a particular political party. And as a consequence, and I've said this before many times, as a consequence, what is clear, what is absolutely clear, is that no matter how this thing resolves or how it unpacks, 
the evangelical gospel is no longer relevant. But you know the truth is it was never really the gospel. It was a takeoff on the Roman gospel which emphasized going to heaven when you die. And in the Middle Ages, actually in the times following the Constantinian grant of power to the Roman Church um, and subsequently the regranting of that similar authority by uh, Charlemagne to found, as it were, uh, the modern Roman Catholic Church, the, the leaders of religion, beginning with the Roman Catholic Church, began to think about the economic possibilities inherent in being made the empire's church. And that model, model of the church that's of the state, absolutely co-opted the gospel that had been preached by Paul, Peter, the, twelve, the, the apostles of, of the Lord, and the Lord Himself prior to that. And this gospel came to be uh, the manipulative gospel of going to heaven when you die. Because you see, people can be thoroughly manipulated by the threat of going to hell. It doesn't suggest that people won't go to hell, and it doesn't suggest that people won't, I'm not suggesting people won't go to heaven. I'm saying that neither position is the final point or purpose, or even the main point or purpose of the gospel. The gospel has always been, from its inception, the matter of representing the nature and the character of God in all of the array of that in the earth. The earth was created for that. Otherwise, why not simply create humans and put them in heaven if the goal is to go to heaven when you die? You see? So this, this gospel has run its course because now it has ended up placing uh, the proponents of it uh, at, in the arms of, and, and I, I don't make an apology for this because this is a biblical metaphor, in the arms of kings, in the arms of politicians, people who control economies of nations in which uh, this, people subscribing to this gospel live. So now you see, there really is no, no gospel of hope because the only hope people can have is whether or not a certain president is elected. And in fact, I am astonished at the numbers of people and the persons themselves, the leaders, who, whose big initiative, whose prayer request, who's mailing to their constituencies to pray for the re-election of the president. Because frankly, the evangelical church has come to be no more than a religious extension of a political idea. And inherent in this concept is the, the hope is vested the hope that if 
certain political figures triumph and if certain configurations of power that rule, as for example here in the United States, then that's the hope that people can have. This is utter prostitution, frankly. The, the, I watched the other day as the president was in a meeting at Gateway Church in, in Dallas Fort Worth, and he was flanked by the preacher, the local preacher of the church, and a certain bishop from Washington, D.C., whom I know uh, personally. And their prayers were astonishing to me. They were political prayers. And I thought to myself, now, why would a president want a couple of guys, one was black, the other white, in this particular crisis? Why would a president want to flank himself with these two adoring sycophants? And the answer is, not because the men themselves were commanded great presences or, or the like, the only reason was that they represent crowds of people. They represent constituencies of people. The men themselves, ordinary men, perhaps ambitious men, but certainly not much more than that. However, they were there because of their political throw weight, the thing they could bring to the table, so to speak. <laughs> I felt sorry for these two fellows because here they are literally pretending to hand over the people they represent to a political party. I thought, the blind is leading the blind. The blind is leading the blind. What on earth would possess men to so hardwire their identities with a political party, except if you know the histories of some of these people, they've always been looking to make a great impact. One of them wrote a book concerning uh, churches with great impacts. And, and the reality is they, don't, they simply don't understand the gospel of the kingdom. We are speaking of another kingdom. And no social pressure, no social subject matter is sufficient to draw us away from the gospel of the kingdom because the kingdom, you see, contains everything necessary for life and godliness. And it is not asking for a seat at the political table. It has no need for a seat at the political table because we're representatives of a different kingdom who are put on the earth to offer hope based upon the operations of the power inherent in the identity and purpose of the kingdom of heaven among mankind. When we, we sacrifice that to sit at the political table, it is tantamount to selling our birthright for a bowl of soup. Because in the end, 
our fortunes are tied to the fortunes of that political entity. And whatever happens to that political entity becomes inescapably our own destiny. The folly of this perspective uh, can only be explained perhaps in the mindsets of men so thoroughly corrupted by a false gospel. I'm, I'm not here to rant, to go on a rant on foolish preachers or preachers who don't understand uh, the message of the kingdom and so present the church to the, or, the, or the groups of people they lead, present them to the political process much as a prostitute is presented to a potential customer. Now, these are hard words, but this is not a time for mincing words. This is a time to call things out purely as they are. But I'm not here just to call things out purely as they are. I'm here to offer a different point of view, a completely different alternative. In the message of not just these particular preachers, but the evangelical church as a whole, in their message, the people of God are being told that your only hope really is in the salvation of a nation's economy. And the best hope of the salvation of a nation's economy is by alignment with a particular political party who has thrown bones of um, uh, scraps, I should say, of political favors in the direction of these leaders who are only too willing to, to snap these scraps up because they are the, they're the closest to them. And so the jockeying for position to be closest to uh, political leaders is fiercely being undertaken and is the backroom stuff of the present order of church leadership. Now, it was a long time getting here. Uh, I began to say that uh, from the days of Constantine and forward, those church leaders sold their birthrights for the, the quote, privilege of being the state's church. Now, God is peeling off the layers of these things and exposing what is true about them so that we would be nauseated, so that we would run from this uh, debauchery and begin to have an understanding, begin to desire an understanding of what is actually true what is actually biblical, because it doesn't require any measure of intelligence to see that this course is heading for the wall of of confrontation. It's bankrupt as it is. I am of the mind that these times have come to disrobe and to lay bare that which has been foisted upon the people of God and has occupied the spot where the truth ought to reside in the spirits of men. So that's why I'm talking to you out of the book of Revelation 
and out of the prophetic scriptures in general. Because when opened, these things show a view of us, the body of Christ, in the earth at this time as being anything but helpless. In fact, they show that in our in, in, in a state of having our minds reclothed with the Spirit of God, we not only know the times and seasons, we know what we ought to do and we have the economy to permit it. And instead of us going as these persons are leading uh, the, 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 the the church in, into these directions, as us, instead of us going to the world to look for solutions, the world needs to come and eventually will come to us for solutions. Obviously, they will not be led by the current crop of leaders because they can't be trusted to hear God and to understand what God is saying. Just listen to the way they pray at political rallies thanking God and telling God how great the the leaders are. Uh, What what a travesty. Like I said, I ended up just feeling sorry for the fellas because they were like deer in the headlights, being completely completely unaware of what what they had done, but you could tell they were uncomfortable with, with the with the fashion of the way that they were asked to pray. Anyway, I I want for us to, enough of that, I I want to offer you real hope. I want to offer you something that you you can dig into and hold on to that cannot be shaken, that will not be shaken and therefore you in it will not be shaken. All right, now, I want to go back, I started to unpack, the, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And um, uh, I, I want to pick up on something that, uh, that I want to expand upon. And it's the thing that's referred to, well, let me just read and I'll, I'll tell you what I want to, to, to select out. Verse one of chapter six of the book of Revelation, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice or with a voice like thunder, four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse, he who sat on it was given a bow, a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now I've unpacked that already, so I'm going to move on. When he opened the second seal, when the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out and was granted to take, granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And then, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. I've already unpacked that. 
I want to point out when the first seal was opened, the first of the four living creatures said. Then when the second seal was opened, uh, the second of the four living creatures said. And now when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked and behold a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures say, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Let me go on and read the last one. Verse 7, When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. I looked, and there was a pale horse, the rider who sat on it was death, hell followed after him. Power was given to them, death and hell that is, over a fourth of the earth, to kill with sword that would imply warfare, with hunger that would employ famine, and with death that would typically employ pestilence, and by beast of the earth. Now where I left it the last time is I said I wanted to talk about beasts of the earth, but I'm going to defer that because I found some other things that were just absolutely astonishing to me and they center around the four living creatures. But before we do, let's go back for a parenthesis to the opening of the third seal. He opened the third seal and I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked and there behold a black horse. Now the word, I've already unpacked some of this, I just want to have a few additions to what I unpacked earlier. A black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. The word for black is the word from which the French word mal uh, is derived. The English equivalent of the word mal uh, might be found as a prefix to various things. For example, if the thing is maladjusted, if it's malformed, if it's malintentioned, it means that it does not measure up to the standard. It's a deception. So the rider on the black horse is a deceiver and he had a pair of scales in his hand. Think of the scales of justice. It intrinsically implies that these scales are to distort the the accuracy of what is to be measured. One of the things that God hates is uneven weights and measures, where a standard is used to 
gain an advantage under the pretext that the standard is accurate. So, the, the announcement that a quart of wheat was for a denarius or a day's wage for a quart of wheat, three quarts of barley, barley of course was a rougher grain, three of those for a day's wage and do not harm the oil and the wine, it suggests a distortion of value uh, propagated by the appearance of a, a standard of measurement that was intrinsically corrupt. Now, but I want to focus on something. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, this wasn't the four living creatures. The third living creature that spoke here said, come and see. But the mandate or the thing that was announced uh, concerning and governing the, the horseman on the black horse, who brings essentially uh, a distorted view, uh, an economic perversion on the very basis of commonly needed foodstuffs. So, using food as a weapon. It was the voice in the midst of the four living creatures who spoke that. And what he spoke was a, a, a delineation of the, the scope of the authority that the carrier of the uneven scales could employ. So he allowed him to overcharge for basic foodstuffs, but said to him, you're not allowed to harm the oil and the wine. All right, now, the next series will be on the four living creatures, but I wanted to show you about the one who was in the midst of the four living creatures. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 4, and uh, here we'll find the four living creatures. In Revelation 4 it says, before the, verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes front and back. And then he describes the four living creatures and we'll come back to that. But then he said in verse 6 of chapter 5, as the lion of the tribe of Judah was announced, this is what John saw, and I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. The Lamb is the voice in the midst of the four living creatures. 